Amen. Let's take God's word together and turn to that Old Testament passage of Joshua chapter 3. And this is our text for the evening. Uh, Joshua 3, verse number 5. Joshua said to the people, Sanctify yourselves, for tomorrow the Lord will do wonders among you. Now, I love that thought. Tomorrow, God is going to do something miraculous among you. Now, that's a good New Year's Eve text. If I was a charismatic preacher, that would be a perfect one. Because I can just about hear it now. But there is something spectacular about it. And I want this evening to encourage you and challenge you with this text. Let's read together just the first six verses of Joshua 3. Joshua rose early in the morning. And they removed from Shittim and came to Jordan. And he and all the children of Israel and lodged there before they passed over. And it came to pass after three days that the officers went through the host. And they commanded the people saying, When ye see the ark of the covenant of the Lord your God and the priests, the Levites, bearing it, then ye shall remove from your place and go after it. Yet there shall be a space between you and it, about 2,000 cubits by measure. Come not near unto it, that ye may know the way by which ye must go. For ye have not passed this way heretofore. And Joshua said unto the people, Sanctify yourselves, for tomorrow the Lord will do wonders among you. And Joshua spake by the priests, saying, Take up the ark of the covenant and pass over before the people. And they took up the ark of the covenant and went before the people. And God will bless the reading of his word this evening. Now that verse ought to challenge and encourage you. Now let me give you just a little bit of background just briefly. Just before this, we have that famous account where the two spies were sent there to Jericho, to the house of Rahab, you remember. And uh, they were, it was revealed to them by God Almighty that they could indeed take Jericho, that great fortress, and Jericho was the most challenging, the strongest fortress on the other side of Jordan. The biggest challenge that the people of God had to face was the first challenge. Now look here for a second. The biggest challenge is usually the first one. And uh, especially when somebody first crosses over. And maybe tonight you think, I, I know I need to get some things right. I, I need to get my, right, my life right with God. But I, it just looks very daunting to me. It's very, very frightening to me. But Joshua had faith. Now, I like this because Joshua was able to testify with great faith, God is going to do wonders tomorrow. That was faith to declare that. Now, before that happened... Before they crossed over Jordan and before they were able to witness the miraculous wonders of God, there were a few things that had to happen. Now look here, most of us want to see the wonders of God amongst us. But the truth is we're not ready. We're not ready for it. And there had to be something some way of preparation for God's people before they were ready for that. And tonight, we are approaching a new year, which is encouraging. 
God has, God has created life to be a series of new beginnings. That was the plan of God. That was God's doing. God created life so that the sun would come up and go down and do the same thing again tomorrow so we'd have a new day tomorrow, another chance tomorrow. That's the way he created it. We have a calendar system which creates new opportunities each day, each week, each month, each year. Have you ever thought about it? We have so many new fresh opportunities. And you are standing on the freshest, biggest opportunity right tonight. And if you don't look at it like that and grasp it like that, it'll just be another day. But I, I want every day to be a new beginning, a new opportunity. And I want with that to have faith to believe that tomorrow I'm actually going into that promised land that God has promised me. And when I cross over Jordan, he's going to do wonders. Now, some have interpreted crossing over Jordan as crossing from death to life and going to heaven. And there may be some application to that, but I believe it is crossing over into the kind of a Christian life that God wants you to live, the victorious Christian life. Because Israel came out of Egypt and they wandered in the wilderness for 40 years. That was not where God wanted them to be. He wanted them to be in the promised land. And many Christians are brought out of Egypt. They're saved from this world. But all they do is wander around in the wilderness. They never actually live the kind of a Christian life that God saved them to live. Which is a picture of Canaan crossing over Jordan into the victorious Christian life. That doesn't mean there won't be any troubles. The first thing they did when they crossed over Jordan was fight the biggest battle they've ever fought. But it does mean you get victory after victory after victory. So I want to talk tonight about crossing over into the life that God wants you to live this year. And let it begin tonight. But notice, if you would, verse number 1. The Bible says at the end of verse number one, he and all the children of Israel lodged there, right at the edge of Jordan, before they passed over. Now look here. Before you can cross over into the kind of a life that God wants you to have, there is a measure of preparation on this side first. They lodged there. They camped out there. We've been in this tent for, we've been camping out here, you could say, for almost a year and a half on this field we've lodged here on this side of Jordan I do not believe that this is it God didn't bring us here for this he brought us here as the next step and the Christian life will be one step after the other more and more and more nearer and nearer and nearer to himself but before we cross over, there's a lodging period. They came to Jordan and lodged there. We will pass over, but we've got to camp out for a little bit. No, no, we must pass over. Not just we will, we must. Did you know that God didn't bring you out of the clutches of Satan 
just for you to be a mediocre Christian. Do you know that? God didn't save you so that you could be a halfway Christian. God didn't save you so that you could still have one arm holding on to the world and one arm holding on to the cross. He didn't save you to have some of your addictions still pulling back at you. He didn't save you to have half of, you, half of yourself filthy and the other half of yourself looking clean. No, he saved you to bring you right the way through. But there's always a lodging first. There's that before they passed over. Now, up until now, they didn't know what was next. They didn't know how to cross over. Now, look here for a second. Some of you tonight don't know how to cross over. You don't know how to make something change. You don't know how to break free of the cycle that you're living. You know you're saved. You know you're a Christian. But you don't know how to break free of this endless cycle every single day doing the same thing over and over again. You don't even know how to get into the victorious Christian life. That's why you need to come right up to the edge and camp out. Because there's no ordinary way to pass over. You'll never find the way to pass over with your own two eyes. You're never going to find the way to pass over by trying harder. You're never going to pass over into the victorious Christian life by doing a little bit better. By picking yourself up by your bootstraps in the morning. It's never going to happen like that. If you're ever going to cross over into the victorious Christian life, it will be a supernatural way. Do you know how they did it here? The priests picked up the ark, and they had a, it was different than crossing the Red Sea or the Dead Sea. Do you remember? When they crossed the Dead Sea, Moses held his, his uh, rod, his staff over the, over the sea, and it parted. Do you remember that amazing story? This was different. The priests had to pick up the Ark of the Covenant and literally walk into the river. Their feet had to get into the river, meaning it was, it was faith. They looked like idiots walking into the middle of a river carrying the ark of God. But it was a step of faith. And as soon as their feet hit that water, the Bible says that he calls this side of the Jordan to stack up like a wall. And he calls this side to flow away. It took faith. And can I tell you, if you are ever going to start living the victorious Christian life, if things are ever going to be different, if you are ever going to change, you're going to have to have a measure of faith. And it's going to be supernatural. It cannot be ordinary. Something's going to have to be extraordinary. Now look, there were some things learned while they were camping on the edge of Jordan. And I think that this is what we need to consider. What is it that we should have been learning here while we've been camping here? What is it that we can learn here before we cross over to where we need to be? A couple of observations. Look, if you would, verse number one. Joshua rose early in the morning. Then you look down a little bit further. He and all the children of Israel. Some habits were formed. One of the best things that can be done in this lodging period, in this camping period, when you're sort of hanging out between where you know you need to be and you're not quite there but you can see it and you're heading that direction, what, what do you do while you're sort of waiting in limbo for the supernatural to open up before you? What do you do? You form some good habits. Got up early. Are you an early riser? 
Or are you one of these that likes to sleep in until 12 o'clock? Some people say, I like my sleep. That's just saying, I'm lazy. I, I realize we need to sleep. But there is a rest in the work of God. There's a rest. There are times or seasons when your body needs to sleep. And the Lord has equipped us that way when we, we realize I need, a, I need a rest. But are you someone who recognizes that I need to get up? There's work to be done. When your eyes open in the morning, do you think there's work to be done for God? We're living in a generation of, of lazy people. And it's most disturbing when it's found in the church. Robert Murray McShane used to say, I, I wanted to see no man's face until I first sought the face of Jesus. So he would wake up before anybody else woke up so he could get alone with God and meet God before he saw anyone else. It's a good habit to get into. Now, if you've got children who like to get up at 5 o'clock in the morning, you're in trouble. You've got to find some time. You've got to find some time. To be alone and put your phone in another room. Put your phone in a bucket. I don't care. Put your phone somewhere so that you're not disturbed. Joshua rose early. Habits were formed. Look at verse number two. It came to pass after three days that the officers went through the host. Leadership was recognized during this waiting period. During this period between when the people of God were waiting and before they were moved to the next step. They formed some good habits. Let's be forming good habits, church. And leadership was recognized. Up until recently, Moses had been their leader. Now Joshua was their leader. And not only that, but we find that there were officers that were working under Joshua and priests. And so we had some recognition of leadership so that when they moved over to the other side, Israel was about to do what they'd never done before. They were about to become an army. They'd never been an army. They didn't know the first thing about war. But all of a sudden we, we see officers. Well, when did that happen? It happens when you need it to happen. And we're on the verge of needing it to happen. I'm not talking about taking up arms, don't worry. But we're, we, we need in, in some measure to be organized and ready. And, and uh, we need that leadership recognized as the body, as a church to advance and move forward together. God told Joshua in verse 7, The Lord said unto Joshua, This day will I begin to magnify thee in the sight of all Israel, that they may know that as I was with Moses, so I will be with thee. And thou shalt command the priests that bear the ark of the covenant, saying, When ye are come to the brink of the water of Jordan, ye shall stand still in the Jordan. God began to acknowledge, God began to put his hand on Joshua and others. The people acknowledged it. Leadership was recognized. That's a good thing to do. Whilst we're waiting to cross over Jordan. Let me tell you something else that's very important. Hear this one. A pattern of progress was established. What do you mean? They figured out how they were going to advance. Do you know why many people, many churches never move forward? Because they never figure out how to move forward. In fact, it never crosses their mind. They think moving forward is about having better social programs. They think moving forward is having a video night. Oh, I tell you what we can do. We can have a film night once a month. 
And so because they have no pattern of forward progress, they never move forward. I read an article from a newspaper that was sent to me yesterday about some prominent uh, evangelical church of England, one of the most prominent ones, and meant to be one of the most evangelistic ones uh, of, the, of the Church of England in this nation, and the new minister who has taken, taken the, the role of leadership there. And uh, I was discouraged thinking, reading the report of what he had done in his previous post, how very proud he was at becoming very inclusive of all the different lifestyles and different movements and and really joined hand in hand with the local community and the LGBT community and, and took a church that was had eight people in it and, and now when he left it over a, a thousand, sometimes up to two thousand people. Well, of course you'll have one thousand, two thousand people if you join hands with every single heretic that walks on the planet. Of course you'll have one to two thousand people if you tell them, look, the distinctions don't matter. Convictions don't matter. Jesus isn't the only way. Muhammad is well. Of course you'll get the whole thing filled up with people. Because that's what people want to hear. I was discouraged thinking that that was a pattern of forward progress. And that was the man that they've installed into this somewhat prominent Church of England. But they established a pattern. Look at it. I love this pattern. Verse number 3 and 4. The scriptures say, They commanded the people, saying, When ye see the ark of the covenant of the Lord your God, and the priest, the Levites, bearing it, then ye shall remove from your place and go after it. Okay, so what was their pattern of progress? Number one, when God moves, we move. That's the first thing. They had agreed that when God moved, they were moving. But they weren't moving until he moved. The Ark of the Covenant represents, represented the presence of God. And when God spoke to Joshua, and God spoke to the priests, and the Ark of the Covenant began to move, everybody packed up camp and said, we're going. Wherever God is, I want to be there. Would you look here for a moment? I would, I would develop, if I were you, I'd get a conviction in my heart to say, wherever God is, that's where I'm going to be, and I'm not moving until he moves. And I'll go wherever he goes. If he tells us tomorrow to pack up camp and go somewhere else, we'll go. If he tells us to do this, we'll do it. When God moves, we move. Look at the next thing to recognize in their pattern of progress. The scriptures say in verse 4, Yet there shall be a space between you and it. About 2,000 cubits by measure. So here's what they said. When the Ark of the Covenant gets up and starts moving, you get up and follow it. But you keep your distance. Two things to think about. There is a real reverence here. A real reverence that, look, the presence of God is holy. If we're going to follow, we're going to follow at a distance. So as we move, there has to be reverence in our obedience to Christ. One of the most discouraging things sometimes is when you, when you see so-called movements and there's zero reverence for the holiness of God. None at all. 
He becomes more of a rock concert and entertainment show than it does a, a movement of God. Reverence. Now, I'm not saying God cannot move uh, in an extraordinary way. I'm not saying that at all. He has done in the past. I remember reading the account of when, when the Spirit of God moved uh, amongst Andrew Murray. And there were people literally falling on the ground, not, not acting like dogs and animals, but falling on the ground and weeping in contrition, brokenhearted in repentance. And, and they were wailing, not barking like animals and slithering like snakes like you see in some of these zoos these days. But crying out for mercy. And it bothered him. He'd never seen such a movement of God. People on the floor crying out for mercy, moaning. And he walked over to someone and said, knock it off, he told him. Quit that. You're making a show of yourself. You're making us all uncomfortable. And the Spirit of God said to him, this is my work. This is my work. And he had to get it back off. So I'm not saying God's not going to do something different. In fact, I expect Him to do something different. I expect Him to do something different. If, if He doesn't do anything different, then, then this is all there is. And I'm convinced there's more, aren't you? I'm convinced there's more. But we go where God goes. Not where a man goes. I was preaching a couple of months ago. On a Sunday morning, the tent was full and the Spirit of God was at work, moving. And after the service, I concluded with a prayer and I sat down and a man came up to me and he, I was praying here on my chair and a man came up and he put his arm on my, a hand on my arm and he said, Pastor, you need to give an invitation. The, 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 God told me you need to give an invitation. I said to him, thank you. Kept praying. We sat down and he came up to me. Why didn't you give an invitation? God told me to get, that you should give an invitation. I said, well, God didn't tell me. He may have told you, but you weren't leading the meeting. He didn't tell me. There are times when I do give an invitation, when the Lord leads. But I want to go where God goes. Now, there, there are a million voices aren't there? This one says do this. This one says jump this high. And this one says do that. Who do we listen to? God. God. And man gets it wrong sometimes. The great Charles Haddon Spurgeon was approached by another great man. I think I admire William Booth. He started the Salvation Army. He was a real strict kind of a military kind of a man. A great movement at the very beginning. And he came to Mr. Spurgeon and he said, Mr. Spurgeon, the Lord told me that I was to preach at the Metropolitan Tabernacle. And Spurgeon says, that's great, but he didn't tell me. And so, as far as we know, William Booth never preached there. Because we recognize that there are a lot of voices but I want to hear the voice of God. And where God goes, we go. But we walk at a distance, showing reverence. Now here, here's what else this showed. 
when you walk at a distance. You let the Lord lead. <coughs> Pardon me. Because where he's leading us, we have never been before. Look at that expression. For ye have not passed this way heretofore. Literally, you haven't passed this way ever. Yesterday, the day before yesterday, you've never been here before. And so therefore, if you're going to go somewhere you've never been before, then you want to be able to watch your guide to see where he's going. Now here's what this was saying. God could take care of himself. So give God a little bit of space, the Ark of the Covenant. God could take care of himself. And so if anything, any enemies or, or anything uh, were, were to happen, you could see it happening. He, God was going to be okay. He was going to take care of himself. But he was going to do that so you could see. And the Lord will always guide us in such a way that he gives us. Every once in a while, somebody gets the idea that God's going to show us everything that's going to happen between now and the apocalypse. Every minute detail and this and this and this. He's never, he's, he's never done that before. He's never going to do it. But he will show us just enough. He'll show us just enough. And as he moves a little further on, we'll see a little bit more. And that'll, be, that'll, that'll suffice. So we learn that. But there's one more thing. One more thing. You find unity was established, order was established, reverence. One more thing. Before they could cross over, Joshua says in verse 5, sanctify yourselves. Now look here. If you don't get anything else tonight, I want you to get this. You want to move over? You want to enter into the victorious Christian life? It'll never happen without holiness. Never. There is no victorious Christian life without holiness. It's a farce. And this super grace movement that says, hey, we're living in the age of grace now. Do anything you want to do. Live any way you want to live. It's all, it's all under the blood. People say flippantly and blasphemously. No, no, no. Sanctify yourselves. There's a holiness that is expected. Always has been. Old Testament and New Testament. Now, it's, it's not a holiness that you can attain to yourself. It's a holiness that you need the Spirit of God to help you with. Sanctify yourselves. Literally, separate yourself from all other cares. Would you look this way for a moment? What cares right now do you have that are keeping you from following Christ? Think about it. What is it that's keeping you right now from following Jesus Christ? Separate yourselves from them. Now, don't split up with your wife now because you're trying to look after her and you, and you say she's a care or you leave it. Don't do that. God-given responsibilities do not conflict. If God gave you a wife or God gave you a husband or God gave you children, then you ought to be able to sanctify yourself with them, with that responsibility. But separate yourself from all other unnecessary cares. 
Do you remember what those thorns were? You've heard me speak about this recently. The thorns that Jesus spoke about in the parable of the sower. Some seed fell amongst the thorns that grew up together with the seed of the gospel and it ended up choking out the gospel. And he said that the thorns were the cares of this world and the deceitfulness of riches. Now look here, especially young people. I've seen many, many, many walk away from Jesus because of money. Trying to, even if it's so, so-called innocent, I've just got to earn a living. And they put more time and attention into earning a living than following Jesus. And very soon, earning a living chokes out the gospel. I'm encouraged to hear some of our men uh, becoming self-employed this year. Now, not everybody can do that. I understand that. And I, I do not be foolish and rash about some of those decisions. But I'm encouraged that some of our men can. And they've made that transition. They're making that transition so they can have more time to serve the Lord. That's remarkable. They begin to make that transition in their mind. What can I do so I can be of more use to my Savior? Separate themselves from all other cares. Sanctify yourself. Devote yourself entirely to the honor of God. Get up in the morning. You know what the Roman soldiers used to do before they went into battle? They say, we live or die for the glory of Rome. Wrong place to say amen. Instead, you should say, we live or die for the glory of God. Now you can say amen. We live or die for the glory of God. But some of you are living for the glory of yourself or the glory of your little kingdom that you're building or the glory of your culture or the glory of your family. Well, if you want to sanctify yourself and you begin to devote yourself entirely to the honor of God, when you wake up in the morning, you drop to your knees. When you roll out of bed, you drop straight to your knees on your face and say, Lord, by your grace and mercy, I devote myself today to your honor and glory. That'd be a good way to start, wouldn't it? Strap on your armor then and go to battle. Sanctify yourself. Cleanse yourself from all filthiness. From all filthiness of flesh, all filthiness of soul, all filthiness. If there's anything in your life, think about it right now, that is unclean, cleanse it. With the washing of the word, by the blood of Jesus Christ, cleanse it away. Any uncleanness, today is the day to do it. Today is the day to get rid of it. If you need to take your phone and chuck it in the middle of the motorway, then do it. If you need to take your television and smash it into a million pieces, then do it. Today is a day to sanctify yourself. Because tomorrow, the Lord is going to do wonders among you. Now look here. You cannot expect God to do wonders among you tomorrow if you do not sanctify yourself today. Did you hear me? You cannot expect God to do wonders among you tomorrow if you don't sanctify yourself today. If you don't make a change today, if you don't start having a clear out today, 
then you might as well forget about God doing anything miraculous tomorrow. And I don't know about you, but I, I'm ready. I want God to do something miraculous tomorrow. I want God to do wonders amongst us tomorrow, but it ain't going to happen if I don't sanctify myself. And there are two New Testament ways to that being done. The blood of Jesus Christ and the washing of the water of the word. You say, well, I've been saved. I believe the blood of Jesus has cleansed me from all my sins. That's why, look here, that's why on, on more than one occasion in the New Testament, we're commanded to take unto you the helmet, the helmet of what? Salvation. The helmet of salvation. The helmet protects what? Your head, your brain. Some of our brains are smaller than others, but we have a brain and the helmet protects your brain, your thinking. And so God says, put the helmet of salvation on, which says, I am a child of God. I've been washed by the blood of Jesus. I've been cleansed. I'm a new creation. And that's the way you've got to think. You think about the redemption. You think about the sanctification. Think about what the blood of Jesus has done and is doing today. Let that protect your mind. Because Satan is waiting out there with a fiery dart to shoot at your thinking, to shoot at your brain, to tell you you're not saved. You're a good-for-nothing Christian. You can never do anything different. You're always going to be like this. you got to put that helmet of salvation on today. Protect your thinking. You sanctify yourself by daily putting on that helmet and reminding yourself that you've been washed by the blood of Christ. You sanctify yourself. Look here. By opening this book every day and taking a bath in it. What do you mean? Let the word of Christ dwell richly in you. Let it live in you. That was one of Wesley's questions. Did the, did the word of God live in you today? The Bible says there's a washing that takes place. There's a renewing that takes place when you read this book. I've experienced it. I've experienced it. I, I've gone through... Seasons. Now, don't think that because I'm a pastor that that I, I I I'm I'm reading the Bible 16 hours a day and I'm praying praying for the remainder remaining hours of the day. No, 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 no. There there are days when I struggle to read the scriptures. I'm ashamed to say that. But I'm telling you, when I kneel down or when I sit down to read the Word, when I get alone with God and open up the His Word and let Him speak to me. It begins to cleanse my mind. It begins to cleanse my doubts. It begins to wash away my doubts. I'm filled with faith. That's why the Bible says faith comes by hearing and hearing the word of God. Because when you read the word, it begins to wash the fears away and wash the doubts away. And I'm encouraged and I'm uplifted and I'm reminded that if God be for me, who can be against me? Sanctify yourselves. Sanctify, cleanse yourselves because tomorrow the Lord will do wonders. Now, here's what he was saying. Tomorrow, God's going to take you in to what they called the promised land, to what they would call the holy land. Now, look here. What business do you have in, have being in the holy land if you aren't holy yourself? 
Now, I know some people say, uh, they call people, oh, that's a holy man, or that's a, no, no, no. Uh, every child of God should be holy. The Bible says, be ye holy, for he is holy. Every child of God ought to be separated from the world and become used, set aside for the use of God. And therefore, we can walk in to that holy land. We can walk into that promised land, into the victorious Christian life, because we have been sanctified. Are you ready for that? Now, I believe that the best is yet to come. I believe it. I also believe the worst is yet to come. Is that possible? Definitely. Definitely possible for both. So I'm going to take this verse as our verse this year, or at least this night. Sanctify yourselves for tomorrow the Lord will do wonders among you. But would you look here? If you tonight refuse to sanctify yourself, then you can be certain that when the Lord does wonders amongst us, you'll be left out. And I don't want to be left out. I don't want to be left out. I want to be right in the middle of it all, don't you? I want to have a front seat. I hope you do as well. Let's pray. Father, help us to believe that you will do wonders amongst us. Help us to believe that the best is yet to come. We know, Lord, that the worst that the world has ever seen is yet to come. We, we know that. But we also believe, Lord, that the best is yet to come. Give us faith, Lord. Help us tonight. Help us to sanctify ourselves through the blood of Jesus Christ, through the remembrance of our salvation and the washing of the word. Help us, Lord. Prepare us. Prepare us so that we might be ready for you to do great wonders amongst us. For we ask it in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen.